Hi, and welcome to Once More with Feelings, a podcast where we talk about the wicked and the divine and our feelings. I'm Kate. And I'm Christina. And today we are talking about the wicked and the divine issue number 20. I thought it was 19. You're right. I was incorrect. I reread the wrong comic. That's fine. We're doing issue number 19. <laughs> Listeners, we're recording this pretty early. I don't know what's going on, and it's fine. Yep. This is our first one back after our holiday break that we're recording. Yes, happy 2019, everyone. We said that last time, but you know. Yep, now that we're actually here, happy new year. So we're doing issue number 19 today. Yep. Where we are facing the direct repercussions of having Persephone in the story. She came back last issue. She busted in, messed some people up, stole a child, helped Baphomet get Morgan out of the prison that she had been put in and they all escaped to the underground mm -hmm. yes and now we're going to anaki finding out about minerva's little fancy hologram fancy hologram indeed and we're in valhalla london and anaki charges in with fake dad saying see she's still here nothing to worry about and anaki's like silence and clever girl is a comment clever girl <laughs> when she discovers the owl she left the owl behind which kind of, in my estimation, was a calculated move. 100%. Yeah. A, the owl's doing the projection. It sort of makes it seem like Anunki's saying clever girl because it's like, oh, she figured out how to make pillows with the cover pulled over trick, except a hologram. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's probably more to do with Anunki thinking, I can use this owl to find her. It can use the owl to find her. Now that we know more about Minerva and Anaki, it's entirely possible the owl has a message in it. That's true. Yeah, the owl's useful for multiple reasons. It's a very useful owl. Mm-hmm. And her fake dad with a stupid sweater vest. Sorry. So we're going into Wisdom is My Dump Stat, the 24th of September. Kieran, always a D&D nerd. The nerdy reference. For those who don't understand what that means, in Dungeons & Dragons, you have statistics that determine how good you are at things. A dump stat is something that you purposefully make poor because you're prioritizing other abilities. Mm -hmm. So if wisdom is your dump stat, that means you're usually prioritizing something else and not common sense. It's usually punching. Like if wisdom's your dump stat, it's usually punching. Or charisma. <laughs> yeah, those are the best. Either being strong or being good at talking to people, one or the other. I really want a high charisma barbarian someday. That would be fun. One day. That'd be very funny. We're going to go over to Dionysus and his underground rave lair, mm -hmm. where he's rocking it out, jamming, letting people feel the beat. And then all of a sudden, he doubles over in pain. And we haven't really seen this from Dionysus before. It seems like he's in pain and he has to leave. And this is a direct symptom, I guess, of the fact that he doesn't sleep. I don't know if he can't sleep or that he just doesn't anymore. Yeah, it's hard to tell if he can't or doesn't because he doesn't want to lose a single minute of the two years he has left. Exactly. But all of the stress and the effort he's going in is taking something out of him. His followers, the ravers, are immediately concerned for him and asking, like, what's up? What's wrong? And he says, it's fine. I just need to go get some caffeine and take a break. And somebody offers to go get it for him so that he can keep the party going. But he declines. He'll go do it. And it kind of seems like that was a selfish offer. Like, oh, I'll do it so you can keep the party going so that I can keep partying when I come back and I don't have to wait for you sort of a thing. 
Yeah. Basically, it was trying to not allow him to take the break of walking out to get a soda. Yeah. And the crowd reacts sort of negatively when he does, in fact, leave. They're all like, oh, boo, come back. And he's kind of done with that. And you see Dio just right at the counter ordering him. And there's uh, breaking news of an explosion at Highbury and Islington. No fatalities have been reported. Pantheon involvement is suspected. And then we get our little none more goth boy rising up out of the ground saying, don't freak out and grabbing Dio so fast he leaves his coke behind. I think that anytime anyone starts something by saying don't freak out, you're probably going to freak out. Yeah, quite possibly. Odds are. To which Dio does respond with, you fucker, I dropped my drink. He's been having a rough day. Yeah. Because they're friends, or they were friends. They were friends, yeah. They're in a weird space right now. I'm sorry, Dio, but I have unhealthier things for you than your taste in liquid sugar. Give me a second. And he pats him down. Dio's like, Baff, what's going on? <laughs> like, why are you patting me down? This is weird, but apparently he's clean. Why are we in the underground? But we, it's revealed the reason why. As soon as Baphomet says that it's safe, suddenly the Morrigan, Minerva, and Persephone appear. By the light of a cell phone. And obviously, Dionysus recognizes Laura immediately, and he's happy to see her because he thought she was dead. Mm -hmm. But she's denying that she's Laura. He says, Laura, you're alive. And she says, Persephone is. And this is sort of a nod. And when I first read this, it hadn't really occurred to me until this point that we haven't had any of Laura's internal monologue Yeah, since she reappeared in the comic. Yep. Her internal monologue that used to be our narrator has gone. Yeah. And that was a big shift as far as the way that this comic is formatted, because for the first, like, 16, 17 issues, we had this person who was narrating the story who was speaking directly to us. And now we don't have that anymore. So we no longer have a look at what's going on inside of Laura's head. Mm -hmm. And she, in this moment, is denying that Laura is alive. She says Laura's not alive. Persephone is. Laura's life is gone. Yeah. When everyone thinks you're dead, your life, it's gone. It's hard to come back from being legally dead. Her parents are gone. Her family's gone. House is gone. Probably all her money. Everything. But also, it feels like this is sort of a choice. Yeah. In a sense, she's no longer accepted the identity of Laura. She is now just Persephone. And some of the other gods do that. Like, Amaterasu denies who she was before. But Laura is saying that she's Persephone now. But she's also implying that Laura is dead. Yeah. So that's an interesting wrinkle with some complicated meanings, some complicated implications. Also, from there to where we know we are now, that's a really big change. Like, yeah, arcing change that we're going to be following here. It's true. So Dionysus says that Ananki had said there was an Antichrist running about, a destroyer. And we just get a close-up on Laura's eyes, her angry expression, and she says she was right. So Laura Persephone has embraced her persona as the destroyer in the fact that she is going to come and destroy everything Anangi created. Yep. Then we go back to Valhalla and to the red herring of a machine with Ananke in front of it with the owl on there saying necessity, it is all necessity. She never does anything without a reason. And Woden comes in saying, hey, everyone's ready for the pep talk. I have to say, this isn't a good time to start talking to yourself. 
To which Anaki says, I like intelligent conversation. Given the available options, you cannot be surprised if I choose to talk with myself. So I don't think she was talking to herself, though. I'm pretty sure she was talking to the owl. Didn't we learn later that she was making a recording in the owl? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. She's talking to Minerva. Mm-hmm. She's leaving messages for Minerva in the owl. And Woden, being an ass, was like, wow, catty. Uh, well, we've got our claws out. When were you going to tell me that Laura Wilson was alive? And responds the same way as Laura did. She isn't. Yeah. It's, again, another worrying thing. I think that in a sense that Ananki means this as kind of like a threat. Mm-hmm. Like, she's not going to be alive for very much longer sort of a thing. It's also interesting, though, the Alp possibly has some kind of security in it so that only certain people can use it. Mm-hmm. And it really just listens to Nanke real fast there. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I know. We, we know, know why. why. Should have picked up on that earlier. But also, when Ananki insists that Laura is dead, it sort of seems like she's implying that Persephone is something else. Mm-hmm. And I, when I first read this, had that implication that Persephone also is saying that she is something else. She's not Laura. It does kind of seem like whatever changed her, if she is the destroyer, is not Laura Wilson anymore in the sense that it might not be something that we as the reader can trust. It might not be a person that we know at all. Because mm. if it was Laura turning into Persephone, then we know who Laura is. Persephone should be, at least at the beginning, the same. But if Laura is dead, as Persephone is implying, and as Ananke is implying, the, both the reader and the gods now have to wonder, is this person the same? Yeah. And without the inner monologue that we've been relying on till now, we as the reader don't know, which was like a worrying thing. I honestly just took it for granted that it was just Persephone slash Laura being extra as hell saying that Persephone is alive. I mean, yeah. That was my interpretation is they're just being extra and Ananka is making a threat. But also Kieran doesn't write dialogue carelessly. No. I just have to feel like it's sort of, there's layers of implication there. Mm-hmm. So Ananki goes to tell the other gods, the other three remaining in Valhalla, Baal, Sekhmet, and Amaterasu. And Amaterasu is in disbelief because she wasn't there. She did not see Laura as Persephone. But she's being told, apparently, that Laura is now Persephone, and she attacked and hurt a bunch of people in the club. Mm-hmm. That's what Amaterasu warns, anyway. And she's in disbelief. And she says that she couldn't believe Laura would do this. And immediately, Ananki says that it's the destroyer. She is the destroyer. Keeping that narrative going uh -huh. of her not being Laura, she is this other being called the destroyer. And she implies that the destroyer would have killed them if she could. Not just killed, crucified. Crucified. Very, very divinity. And she then goes to Ball and tries to, in a sense, rile up Ball, being like, hey, you thought you knew her, but how well did you really know her? And also, you know that guy who killed Anana? Yeah, she's working with him now. So, like, it's just Ananki coming over here and purposefully riling up Ball with Anana's murder that she committed, we know. Mm-hmm. We, the audience, know. At this point in the narrative, I think we don't know yet that Baphomet's innocent. We think it's still Baphomet who killed him. I'm trying to remember when we find out exactly what happened to Persephone. 
I read it. It's issue 20. Okay. It's an issue 20, which I accidentally read instead of this one. But yes, that's when we actually find out. So the next issue, we find out what actually happened. Until then, we're believing that it was still Baphomet who killed Anana. And Persephone, Laura's allegiance to Baphomet kind of, to me at least, helps Ananki's case that she's the destroyer and she's not Laura anymore. Yeah. She's not that cute little girl you slept with once upon a time. Nope. She's a murderer. She's a murderer. Which is funny coming from possibly the biggest serial killer of history. Yeah. Yeah. True. She definitely caused the plague. So yeah, that's the biggest serial killer in all of history right there, at least in this universe. 100%. Yep. And then we move on to Ananke moving to Sakmet. And Sakmet, you must see. Sakmet responds with, she stuck me up a tree. She's dead. Yep. While playing with her cause. No one treats me like a cat except me. <laughs> no one beats me in a fight is kind of, I think, the implication. Yeah. I mean, yes. It's a bit of both. A little bit of both. And you see Amaterasu in the background looking really downcast. And I think she's still questioning, but basically forcing herself to settle on what Ananke is saying. She doesn't want to believe it, but she doesn't have any reason not to. Mm-hmm. We all have our reasons. She is to Baphomet as fire is to ash. She is the destroyer. You will see. But first, you must rescue Minerva from the darkness. And we're looking at the owl. Mm-hmm. As if it's easy. They're in the underground. I've spent the last three months running around there trying to get the Lord of Dorkness. Lord of Dorkness. And all I've got is one handful of fuck and another of all. And then we see Anaka is smiling with her hand on the owl. Once again, like, I can use this to find her. Mm -hmm. She left it behind for me purposefully. Yep. Gonna be able to kill Persephone this way. Yep. So we flash back to the underground where... Basically, it seems at the very least that Dionysus has just had everything explained to him because he's sitting, whereas before he wasn't, and he's got this shock look on his face. It seems like he's just learned what these other four underground peeps are doing and why. Baphomet offers him a drink and he's like, can you prove any of this? And Baphomet basically tells them like, I mean, we have witnesses, but we're all criminals kind of here. Mm hmm. We're all wanted. We're all suspects. We're all suspects. Like, we can argue our case, but at this point it is he said, she said, because Baphomet's wanted for murder. Laura is apparently dead, but is now also wanted for, like, not necessarily murder, but Anaki's spinning this tale that she's attacked people. Yeah, so terrorism, possibly. Terrorism. And, like, the thing is, none of it's going to stand up in court, as Baphomet says. And Persephone in the background says, do you know what a miracle is? It's beyond explanation. So she doesn't think they need to explain themselves. It kind of seems to me. Mm -hmm. She's beyond like authority at this point. She doesn't think that anyone needs to believe them. It just needs to happen. Yep. And Dionysus turns the rest and says, do you guys believe her? And to which Baphomet responds with, I don't have much faith in myself. I've got faith in her. Morgan says, I don't have faith in him, but I believe him. The truth rings clear and bright in the dark. That's, a again, a little bit of a worrying implication. Like, I don't have faith in this guy. I think he's a screw up, but I do think he's telling the truth. Which, I mean, that's, I know it's worrisome, but at the same time, eh, sounds about right. Kind of fair, yeah. Yep. Dio is not super happy about hearing that. Mm-hmm. To which, Bath, I know with what we've got, we're not exactly courting the courts, but we have to try. We need to... 
To which Minerva starts with, listen, sir. Listen, sir. Excuse me, sir. I'm so small and 12. I'm actually turning 13, but I'm completely harmless, sir. I hate her. Yep. There's so many small contradictions. The more you look at what Anaka says, the more it doesn't fit together. I've been quietly researching it with Owly, but nothing definitive yet, but something's off. I don't know who Laura is now, but Anaki doesn't want us to even hear what she has to say. That's creepy, and... And we need to keep my mom and dad safe. Yep. Because I'm 12, and I really care about my parents. They're not just someone I hired. I don't want them to be injured. I'm not just totally using them as, like, another distraction for you guys. It totally didn't spring up fully formed like a Cabbage Patch doll. In the middle of a field. Yeah. Like a Cabbage Patch doll. Jesus Christ. To which Dio says, you're right. Let's go get your parents. And apparently Dio and Minerva haven't ever got to meet. He's like, good to finally meet you. By the way, I'm Dionysus. And Minerva doesn't even get out her full name when the Morgan says, wait, the air stirs. And from the darkness, we see these two green lights. And then suddenly, Owly. Owly. The little robotic owl. Owly. And Minerva's pleased about this. Like, oh, hey, she found me. And I think Minerva knows what this means. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, yes. Anunki has told the owl to find me. Yeah. Because she says it like she found me like in delight as if this owl missed her or something, but it didn't. And it also didn't have a reason to go looking for her other than Ananki sent it. So they also named it Owly. She did name it Owly. Like that's another I'm like 12 kind of move. So Owly arrives and lands on Minerva's arm. Minerva tries to be like, Oh, hey, my files are on here. We can prove some stuff. I can show you some stuff. And then lightning starts to crackle over the owl's form. Mm-hmm. And the owl acts as a conduit for the electricity of ball. Yep. And we get this wonderful page with the lightning kind of crashing through the middle of it. And ball says round two with the lightning coming out of his eyes. Or is that flame? It's kind of flame. It's flame coming out of his eyes. Yeah, it's such a dramatic entrance. It is. Like, and this one panel is so dramatic also with him standing there. Again, sunglasses in the underground ball, please. And Baphomet does it. Now that ball is here, there's two spotlights in the background. It makes me wonder if they're able to use Owly as like a pinpoint for that somehow. Like, yeah, if ball's in the underground, they shouldn't be able to find ball either. But maybe they can find Owly. He has that lightning bolt thing that Woden made, so that might also be a tracker. That's true. Like a GPS tracker or something. Yeah. I mean, we don't know for sure, but yeah. Two spotlights appear in the background, and suddenly Sekhmet and Amaterasu are all there also. All of the gods are here now. All of them? Are we missing anyone? I don't think so. I think everyone alive is here. The Norns. Oh, that's right. The Norns. The Norns are not involved. Mm -hmm. They are staying neutral in this conflict. So far, no one's told them what the fuck's going on yet. You're not wrong. But Ball, say, get Minerva. That's what we're here for. We're here to get her back. And we will kill anyone who tries to stop us, essentially. Mm-hmm. And Minerva tries to fight this in a way. I can't tell if she's just playing along with what's happening or if this is, again, part of her greater scheme. But she is trying to tell Ball that you don't understand what's going on. Things are different now. 
and he's not ready to talk about it. He doesn't want to stand and listen. He just wants to get Minerva and go back. Mm -hmm. And the Morrigan is not prepared for that to happen. The time to parlay is over. Because I'm tearing out your tongue. Oh, God, this page. Yeah. So this is the first time we see the Morgan shapeshift, and I guess we all just forgot about it. Well, she shapeshifted before, but this is, I think, the first time that she gets a crow face. Yeah, because the crow face surprised us all during her and Baphomet's last fight. Yeah. But we see a murder of crows or a conspiracy of ravens or both come out and... Follows like, no, stay down, Minnie. She doesn't care who she hurts. Because, oh yeah, no, Minnie's yelling in pain. Maybe, or surprise, it's hard to tell. And there's crows coming out of everywhere. There's like a head coming out of her hair and like one coming out of her rib cage. They're just spouting out. Like, it's kind of impressive. Yeah. This is another like Ball's dramatic entrance. This is Babe's dramatic entrance. This is like, yeah. And this is terrifying in its own way. Once again, we're getting that intense green color palette, the contrasting green and pink color palette. Yep, that is uh, Bave. Amaterasu has not used any abilities yet. I don't know if she really can do much underground because she's a sun god. So this is really not her element. Yeah. But she tries to go to Minerva to get Minerva out, presumably. And Baphomet decides that it's time to attack her. He's just ready to go. Yeah. Despite the fact that Amaterasu has not, like, attacked anyone, the fact that she's trying to get Minnie is enough of a reason for Baphomet to attack her. I mean, she probably pisses Baphomet off just on a luckier level. I mean, probably. Persephone grabs Minerva and decides that, like, we're going to go deeper. We can lose them if we just go deeper into the underground. And we turn and then we see what the other two have been up to because we have Sekhmet arguably like the best fighter in the pantheon going up against Dionysus who says I'm not a fighter I'm not even a lover I'm a dancer yep which is such a good line and he's clearly using a dance move to avoid that swipe yeah he's just dodging he's over here trying to not be hit by Sekhmet yep I think the not even a lover thing was the first hint we got of him being ace too yeah I'm not even a lover is very good (laughs) I'm not a fighter I'm not even a lover love it (laughs) And we get Sakmet going weak and then just punching him out saying, I'm a lover and a fighter. Yep. All of the above. Yep. And to which Baphomet is going at her with his fire pipe, to which she just uses that as a stepping stone to kick him in the chin. Yep. Saying, you really annoy me. And then she tries to grab Persephone, to which she gets a click and Persephone's magic vines show up causing a bit of an obstacle before Persephone gets tackled. So this is like a really fast moving fight page mm-hmm. that I probably described poorly. It's it's better if you read this one. It is definitely easier to follow along if you have the book, but it seems since the last confrontation that Sokmet has learned, like all she needed really is to see what Persephone could do. Yeah. And if she knows that Persephone can summon these vines, then she's now prepared to like dodge them to combat them they're not as effective against her anymore yep because it seems like she dealt with baphomet really with no problems and now she's tackled persephone to the ground and she says that she is not only a lover and a fighter but also a killer and she's ready to kill like she said she was gonna do it yep but amaterasu is here she wants to just get minerva out so she bounces about the room as a beam of light and 
grabs Minerva. Like, she's just here, like, I'm here to get you out. Time to go home. Yep. And she abandons the fight. She leaves Ball and she leaves Sokmet to the others and leaves the underground. I think that was the plan. No, it was probably the plan. I would agree. It probably is. Yeah. Because I feel like Amaterasu could probably be dangerous, but it would involve going almost nuclear. Yeah. So we get, excuse-moi, and that is Baphomet hitting Sokmet with a fire pipe before she could gouge out Persephone's eyes. Yeah. And you get one very angry lion goddess and Ball saying, not the time, Blundercat. There's another nickname. Yep, all the nicknames. We've got Minnie, we bounce. Minnie doesn't get a nickname. Minnie is Minnie. Yeah. To which Baphomet yells, Ball, you're being played. I didn't kill him. Ananke killed Anana. To which Ball's response is, yeah, that's exactly what she said you'd say. And he's gone. And the thing about that is, that's kind of a clever play. It's always that thing of like, tell them the truth, but make it seem like it would be a lie. Yeah. Anaki's like, he's going to say that I killed Anana, but he's only saying that to manipulate you. And because she said it first. Yeah. She's more trustworthy. It's like that classic line of somebody stole your act right before you get on stage. Yep. And so it seems like they did it first and you're copying them. Mm-hmm. When someone says, like, they're going to say this about me, I'm like, how do you know? Is it because it is true? Mm. It might be because it is true. Might be because it is true, perhaps. But we have Ball basically taking him and Sokmet out. They're not here to actually kill these people. They just wanted to get Minerva. Mm-hmm. And Baphomet tries to then calm Morrigan down or Bave down. Or Marion, actually. He's beseeching Marion, and he says, take down Mother Nature, red in tooth and claw, a gear. Like, calm down. Stop being bave. Like, because the flock of crows or ravens or whatever is still going nuts in this cavern, and she's not in control. Like, bave is still screaming and ready to destroy, and Baphomet, again, tries to beseech Marion. Marion, we don't have time for this. And there's this owl on the ground. Laura goes over to Owlie trying to, like, inspect it. And Baphomet points out, like, leave it, leave that here. We don't want to take it. That's what led them to her. And Persephone, Laura, mentions the obvious. Like, it led them here because they followed it here. Mm -hmm. It was full of all of her secrets, but it's, like, dead, quote unquote. Like, they followed this thing here and killed it. So, obviously, it's no longer, like, useful. Yeah. But Marion, Bave, turns into Gentle Annie. And apparently her revival powers also work on machines. Or maybe just machines shaped like animals. Who knows? Who knows? The silver bat terror is not dead. It's just sleeping. And then Owly comes back to life. And Gentiani says, ooh, it's full of pretties. We wish to see the Anakiki lady. Show us what you remember, Silver Birdie. Show us the new. Bloop. Latest unwatched footage. And then this is how we see Anake's speech that she was probably giving to make sure they would find it. Yep. To set everything up. Mm-hmm. The 21st century will be the end of us. The old ways are harder than ever. It could fall apart any moment. So close. Three dead, but the fourth is always the hardest. If only mere death were sufficient, it would be easy. But no, this foolish ritual, it was all prepared. Minerva, sweet and compliant, was ready for the knife. Like, purposely giving a villain monologue. She's literally having a villain monologue, like, 100%. 
Yeah. And nobody, nobody watching this is questioning, like, why did she do this in front of a camera with no one to talk to? Why did she say this aloud? Yeah. Why is this being recorded? Yeah. What's happening? Yeah. But nope, no one bothers to think that. And this is where we hear the line that we also saw earlier in the issue, which is necessity. It is all necessity. And Woden comes in saying everyone's ready for a pep talk. So with this perfect setup, with this brilliant, like, just built in, baked in villain monologue and evil motivation already given, everyone is ready to 100% believe that Minerva has nothing to do with any of this and she is the innocent sweet victim. Yep. Which is perfect for Ananki's greater plan because if she's the villain, that's fine. She's been kind of making mistakes. She's been a little sloppy. People are going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But if Minerva, everyone believes that she's innocent and sweet, they're going to protect her, which means that she'll just keep living and she'll still be able to finish the ritual, which is the whole point. Yep. Uh, So Gentle Annie tells it to stop or she starts to, but Bave finishes. They're ready to go to war again. Mm -hmm. Baphomet even says, we've got all the evidence we need. Anaki has cute kid foie gras on the menu. Basically, like, they've all bought into it. They're like, oh, God, she's going to sacrifice Minerva. Yep. Dionysus is like, what do we do? He doesn't know what to do with this. Again, he's not a fighter. But Persephone is all actions. She says, you heard the woman. Whatever's necessary. And she snaps her fingers and her eyes turn black with little skulls in them, which is the coolest and most goth effect. And it ends with knowing you know nothing. 24th of September, 2014. Oh, buddy, oh boy. Mm-hmm. This is once again, we, in hindsight, can look back and see sort of the masterful way that their perceptions are set up around Minerva and an Ananki. The masterful way that these kids, essentially, are being played. Yep. Because some of them are not being given a reason to question. They're being literally just played against each other as pawns. And Ananki is decided that she is going to assume the role of the villain for the purpose of, like, giving someone to fight to deflect attention from what's really happening. Yeah. It's all one big, amazing magic trick of misdirection. Like, the magic trick here is killing them so that they can live forever. And the misdirection is that Ananki is doing some terrible, evil thing to fight a great darkness. Oh, boy. It's such a plan. And it's really interesting to see someone who wants to be immortal knowingly sacrifice themselves because they know their immortality is still moving on to the next person. Right. Sort of like a greater good thing, almost. Like, Anaki thinks that her sacrifice is worth it because, technically speaking, she will continue on. Yep. And that leads to some questioning implications of belief in that. Is that person actually you? Because Minerva has different experiences than Ananki. Is Minerva the same person just because they remember the same stuff from before? At what point do they diverge? It's the transporter question. It is a transporter question. It is. It's like a cloning question. It's a man in the box from the prestige question. For those of you who aren't Trekkies, the transporter question is, technically a transporter just makes an exact copy of you somewhere else in Star Trek. So is that really you? Or was it actually your transported atoms? Or is it just a copy? That's a philosophical question of what consciousness is. Because if consciousness is physical, if it's part of the body, then it transfers over with your atoms. If it's something else, then it doesn't. And that's just a copy of you. Mm -hmm. It's a continuation of consciousness question. 
is Minerva a continuation of consciousness of Ananki, or is she just something that has Ananki's memories? And just gets reborn over and over again to keep the game going. But it's like you just make a new clone, I guess, every 90 years. There's just like a new one pops up with the old one's memories. But are they the same? Are they the same person? That's the hard question. I would argue that the consciousness literally cannot continue because they both exist at the same time. That's a good argument. It's also dealing with how do they experience time. If it's linear, then yeah, then that exists at the same time. But if it's not linear, it's entirely possible that there's a weird loop that happens there where once someone dies and their memories go back into the younger version. So like their consciousnesses merge as soon as Ananki dies. Yep. Well, then why would Ananki need to leave a message for Minerva? Well, because the message would be... E well, that's true. No, later she leaves a message for Minerva to find. Yeah, when she dies. And that's not something that she intended for the others to find. That was only for Minerva. If she knew that Minerva would absorb all of her experience and knowledge and memories as soon as she died, what would be the point of trying to leave her a message? Minerva would just one day know. Yeah. Then we go to my other theory of just once Minerva is born, then she gets all of Naki's memories up to that point. Mm -hmm. Like that download happens during the birth. She would then still be a different person because she then after that point has different experiences. Because we've seen Minerva's and Anaki's acting differently. The 1920s Anaki was a lot more trepidatious and seemed a lot more sorrowful over what was happening than our current one. Like, the 1920s Minerva and our current Ananki is so much more bloodthirsty and so much more convinced about what is necessary. And it probably comes from the fact that, like, she has to steal herself for these decisions or else she has to then question her own existence and the nature of that. And maybe the 1920s one had different experiences. Again, I don't know if it's a continuation, if you can really call this immortality, because every woman seems different every 90 years. And the 1920s would have been the 1830s, which means that Minerva from the 1830s that becomes the Ananka for the 1920s would have had to have killed somebody who was pregnant, mm -hmm. watched someone come up from the dead, and also probably faked her own death or wasn't involved in the Pantheon as much. Because we don't hear a lot of mention of Minerva in that Pantheon. Not especially, no. It's mostly Ananki who comes in at the end to clean things up. And so that Minerva never have to step in and do anything difficult at the beginning. She didn't have to get her hands dirty. Yeah. Which might prime her to not be ready to get her hands dirty later if she never had to do it when she was young. Like in the 1920s one, no one else dies until that last dinner party. So it's Ananki maybe not being 100% willing to get her hands dirty that much because she just hasn't had to do it up to that point. Yeah. Whereas this Ananki was bathed in blood and fire as a child and is doing it again. But she also says earlier in her evil villain monologue, and this sort of lends credence to something that you said earlier about their final motivation. The 21st century will be the end of us. The old ways are harder than ever. Yeah. She says in her evil monologue. So it does kind of seem that the thing she doesn't like about this century is the surveillance that she has, the supervision that she has. There's fewer shadows for her to hide in. And I sort of agree with you that I think that their master grand plan is to sort of roll back the clock in that point. 
this is making it harder for me living forever. So you guys need to stop it. Because now normal people have more power than they ever had with the use of technology. Yeah. And they're able to communicate more than they ever had with the use of technology. Like in the 1920s, Anaki didn't have to worry about people talking to each other with cell phones. Yeah. I mean, you guys had telegraphs and whatever, but that still took a while and you could still miss a telegram or a telegraph. Yeah. So this texting thing is really annoying. This texting thing is really annoying. You're able to share information I don't want you guys to know. So stop it. You can have like a phone where you can still miss the phone call and you don't have voicemail. That's fine because I can use it, but you need to stop texting. I think from what we've seen so far, we can infer from these past clues and from the new stuff we're learning in the comics that Anaki and Minerva's ultimate goal is to sort of send humanity back from our communication revolution. We're trying to leave the communication age and go back to an earlier one where it was easier for her to get away with her schemes. Mm-hmm. And it would be really curious to see if that were to succeed, would she just keep doing it every time humanity evolved more? Probably. Yeah. Just keep it going. Yeah. Because she's learned, like, no more plagues. Biological warfare isn't working. <laughs> Because it could affect me, and I don't want that. Like, I won't die from it, but it's real, real gross. I'm just not about it. I don't want it anymore. Oh, my God. <sighs> but unfortunately, our beloved little children here are walking straight into Anaki's plans. They've given Minerva back to her. They're ready to believe that Minerva is completely innocent of everything. We as the reader have never had a reason to suspect Minerva up until this point. Yeah. And it's just like, God. I remember in Wictive support group, the thing was definitely said of Minerva hasn't done anything bad. Yep. Minerva so far is the least bad of all of them. This was a time when everyone's like, oh, who's the least problematic? I can't remember exactly what it was, but we had a Wictive support group where people were asking like, who do you think would be the most fun to take to Disneyland to go to Disneyland with? No, it was be at a con with. Oh, to be at a convention with? I think I remember the question of also, who would you rather take to Disneyland? That's possible. But I think that was the one where you actually came to the Emerald City book club. Yeah. And that was the question, like, who would you want to be at a convention with? But also Disneyland, yes. Yeah. And I said Minerva because I said I think that she would have the most fun with it. Because I was under the impression that she was this poor, sheltered little child who wasn't aware of, like... All the great, cool things in the world. Couldn't have experienced them. That was like only a year ago. Like a little more than a year. Man, how time flies. Yep. How things change. I remember we decided that Amaterasu would be the worst to be at a convention with. Yes. <laughs> Which is funny. Yes, she would be. Oh, man. So that's issue number 19. Yep. Next issue, we get to learn the truth of what happened. Up until this point, as the reader... There's been so many things that we question. We only get this little bit of a reveal that Anunki is, in fact, 100% one of the villains. Mm -hmm. So we've been questioning up until now, but now we know we can kind of trust the underground gang. Yep. But next week, we're going to learn exactly what happened. Well, are we? Because Wednesday, Die 2 is out. Oh. So we're going to have to decide. Is Wiktiv out the same week? I don't think so. If Wiktiv's not out the same week, then next week it will be die number two. Because Kieran said, yeah, no, the first issue I made really poetic and set everything up. Apparently the second one is just a hot, fighty mess. <laughs> Love it. Ready for it. 
So I'm excited. So possibly two weeks from now, two or three weeks from now, I don't know. What is time? We're going to see exactly what happened the night Laura died. Yeah. Oh, Laura. Oh, Laura. But next week, we'll have second issue of Die for you. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about it. In the meantime, do you have a recommendation, Kate? Yes, I'm going to recommend, I hope I haven't recommended this before, it's an older one, but Gotham Central by Ed Brubaker and Greg Rucka. It is what it's like being on the Gotham PD when you have to deal with Batman and like villains like Mr. Freeze and the fact that when Mr. Freeze freezes people, they die. They die. Yeah, they die. So that's how that works. It's a Really, really well done. If you don't like capes, this is still a great comic to read because it deals with the people on the ground. And it's honestly what the Gotham TV show should have been. I love all the comics that explore what it's like to be a normal person in a world where superheroes exist. Yep, it's really good. Brubaker and Rucka are some of the best noir crime writers out there. So check that one out. Sweet. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns about the comic or the things that we said on this podcast. I mean, I have a lot of concerns. Should I start writing? That's why we have the podcast. Sure. Send us an email, Kate. Do it. I dare you. If you have noticed something that we missed or want to mention something that you think that we glossed over in this issue, feel free to send us a message. We have an email and a Twitter that you can reach out to us on. Mm-hmm. Our email is once more with feelings podcast at gmail.com. And our Twitter is feelingscast. So you can go ahead and reach out to us there. Let me know how bad my pronunciation is. And if you side with me or Christina on how you pronounce a donkey. The Great War. <laughs> Until then, we will see you guys next week. See you later, Christina. Bye, Kate.